Hi friend, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to share this conversation with you today. It is probably one of my favorites we've had yet on the podcast. My dear friend Christina and sorority sister joined us, us, she joined me. It was just her and I. It was like having coffee with a dear friend, but we probably would have been having wine, let's be honest, chatting about everything from environmental justice to the connection between women and the earth to talking about not feeling completely aligned in your life and so much more. Christina is one of the smartest people I know, and I learn so much every time we talk. So I'm just really excited for you to hear this conversation and, you know, maybe learn something because we talked about some really important issues that, you know, I think we all should give a damn about. So I hope you enjoy it. I'd love to hear what you think. Send me a message after you've listened and let's chat because this is important stuff and Christina is doing such good work in the world and we need more people like her who are also pushing us all to be more accountable to each other and to our world. So here we go. Enjoy. Hey, this is Alexandra Young, and this is the Brave and Purposeful Women podcast. Women oftentimes find themselves lost in the messy middle of life. Kids, work, marriage, or health. I'm here to help you navigate it, to find your way, and to find magic in the mess, and to live your life well. The truth is, we can't have it all, all the time but we can have a hell of a lot if we simply shift out of survival mode and allow ourselves to thrive while pursuing a brave and purposeful life. We only have one life and I want to live it well. And I think you do too. Christina, welcome to the Brave and Purposeful Women podcast. I'm so excited to have you as a guest today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Christina and I are sorority sisters that we met actually as alumni doing another kind of similar workshop where we each got to share a little bit about our career paths and how we kind of got to where we are. And so I'm so excited to have her as a guest. Christina, do you want to share a little bit about who you are, your story, kind of introduce yourself to us? Sure. Um, yeah. So my name is Christina Motiwal. I work in the Office of Environmental Justice at the US EPA. I am originally from Minnesota, um, in Grove Heights, Minnesota. So we have that Woo-hoo! connection as well. Yes. I went to college at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa, and then graduate school at um, the School of Public and Environmental Affairs at Indiana University. And um, after that, worked in nonprofits for a little bit, did some private consulting, and then landed a job at the EPA, not the one I currently have, but another one I've since switched offices. I live just outside of Washington, D.C. in Alexandria, Virginia, with um, my dog, Reese, my cat, Tesla, and my partner, Kyle. And I volunteer for a couple of different organizations in the area. I work a second job at a kind of like a wine cafe near my house. Oh, fun. I did not know that. That is so yeah. cool. <laughs> big wine fan. And um, yeah, I make us a recommendation. 
Oh, because I, I love wine too. What what should we be drinking right now? I think a very under underappreciated red is a Cab Franc. Um, I think that it's just got such a beautiful flavor profile, and I've really gotten gotten turned on to them by living in Virginia because it's a wine that they do really well here. So if you're ever looking for a fun wine to try, um, I recommend a Cab Franc, and um, you can never go wrong with a Spanish Grenache. So I'm. Those are okay, next those time are, I'm those, out and about, I'm going to look for those two types for sure. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. That's so great. Okay. Thank you for that amazing intro. We have so much, I think we could dive into, but before we even get started, I just want to start with like, what makes you feel like your best self when you feel like amazing on top of the world, what makes you feel that way? For me, I think that really is just when I get to engage with people, you know, the Pandemic's been really hard because I am definitely an extrovert. And so, um, you know, just being able to chat with people and just like making people laugh. Like I feel the best when I've made someone smile. And, you know, I personally just am kind of enjoy being the center of attention sometimes. And so like, if I can get a room laughing or get a group cracking up, like (laughs) I never feel higher than that. But I also feel like humor kind of lightens our load. It's a different way of connecting with people in a very kind of serious world. And so I try to make people smile and let them know like, Hey, I'm safe to let your guard down around. So like, I always just feel my best self whenever people are laughing at something that I said. I love that. (laughs) I'll laugh at anything you say. Uh, That's so true. And I think what you said about just being an extrovert in the last year has been very hard. And I was even thinking, I'm like, if I have a book in me, it would be like my year spent as an introvert because I am the same way. Like I had to feel like I had to kind of adapt to a different way of living. So I wouldn't feel like I was so far from like my true self because so many of the ways that we connect with people were taken away and just put on pause. So I I can totally relate to that. I love that we're starting to get back to seeing people in a safe way. Yeah. Okay. On this podcast, we talk a lot about alignment and finding how to put our lives like into alignment. What does alignment look like for you in this season of life? You know, that's an interesting question because I don't think I've ever been aligned, you know, like I, I've never, I've never really felt like the ducks were ever in a row. You know, I saw a really funny meme. That's like, I don't have ducks. They're not in a row. I have a squirrels and they're at a circus or something like I, you know, and I've never even, I, and it's not even that I'm a person that thrives on chaos. Cause I, I actually love to plan and, and I overthink like crazy, but for me, alignment would, would need to feel like I'm in sync with things that are around me. And I've never really felt that. Like I've never felt in step really truly with like the women in my age group or with my family and stuff. And so like, for me, I, I've always sort of felt like I am just sort of doing my own thing. And it's, that's not bad. I'm very blessed and I'm very fortunate and lucky in a lot of ways. And I have, you know, the basic needs that I require met. So in that way I'm, I'm taking care of, but in terms of alignment, you know, I've always sort of been the, the odd one out. And so I don't really, I don't know what I would do if things felt aligned. I would feel like it would, like something was wrong, you know, like I would, I would look around and be like, this is this, you know, that would feel like you're like, yeah, out of alignment. Yeah, actually, it gets like one of those, like, it's quiet, a little too quiet. Like that's sort of how I feel when things start to line up too much and makes me, makes me anxious actually. Cause I'm sort of waiting for the other shooter. Interesting. I've never like thought about it that way. 
especially when you said like you fell kind of like out of step with sort of like your peer group or people at the same sort of like age experience, that kind of thing, how that could make you feel like not in alignment for your own life. I think of it as sort of like when my values and my purpose line up that I'm doing things that are kind of, you know, in my calling, I'm playing to my strengths. I'm feeling like that I'm not operating from like a place of burnout or stress that sort of, to me is like where I feel like I'm in alignment, That's but yeah, I think, I think I just, I live a very, I don't know, bold lifestyle, if you, yeah. if you will. And that, <laughs> <laughs> so the, for me then with that context, you know, I guess alignment is something that I do strive for because I, I very much do not like hypocrisy. And so yeah. like, I very much like with like, I want to like walk that walk. And so alignment for me is definitely when I feel like my values are being shown because I'm very vocal about them. So it's also very important to me that I lead by example. So I would say that maybe like that alignment for me is making sure that I'm being authentic. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's go there. Like, talk to me about like, when you say like bold and values, like what are those that you strive to live by and live out loud? Oh man, there are so many. <laughs> this will go on forever. No, I love um, it. we um, do have a finite amount of time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the big thing for me is just, you know, really trying to, to live out the value of respect in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and accountability. So, you know, I, I really try hard not to ask anything of anybody that I myself wouldn't be willing to give. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a lesson that I've really had to learn because people were asking a lot of me in different arenas. I wasn't necessarily asking for as much back. And then when I did start to sort of kind of take up more space, take up more room, ask for the things that would actually make me happy. Mm-hmm. I was realizing that people weren't willing to give that to me as much. So for me, it's important for me to live into being the most like giving person that I can be while, while also setting boundaries. And so you know, that, and that's really, that's always been a difficult thing for me, but, you know, I, I've had friends who are, you know, who have said things that they've gotten jaded over the years or that they used to be more open to things. And Mm -hmm. for me, part of the value system that I live is never letting that happen. Like I really always want to strive to live in a space where I never lose that, that want, that hunger, that need Mm -hmm. to sort of keep going and keep moving and keep giving and keep engaging. Like I want to keep high energy in, in the things that I do. And that sort of translates into my work and into the you know things that I volunteer with, like trying to put myself out into the world as much as possible in the most positive way. I love that. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your purpose, because I know when we chatted last fall, you had a dream as a little girl of where you wanted to work and what you wanted to do. And it was very clear from the beginning of what you wanted to do and how then you went about and pursued it. Can you tell us a little bit about that and that journey for you? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because my, you know, my parents never let me forget that I basically chose what I was going to be for the rest of my life and then just went and did it. Um, and you know, they had a nickname for me when I was younger, they called me public defender because if someone needed to be 
you know, you know, if I needed to stick up for someone or, you know, if there was someone that needed advocating for, like I was in the front, never devil's advocate, just like, this Mm -hmm. is so wrong. Like I was, I was very, I wasn't an angry child. I was a very like impassioned, like emboldened kind of child where I was just like, does no one else see that this is wrong? And trying to like get everyone else to see the injustices that I was seeing. And so, you know, when I was younger, I was, I had a very strong love for animals. And when I learned that people hurt them, I was like, why is this not the topic of every state of the union? <laughs> like, I was just so upset. I was like, why are we talking about this all the this time? This is my platform. You and know? I'm like, why is everyone in jail? You know, <laughs> I was just like so mad all the time. And um, that sort of morphed into like a, a love for, 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 for helping people who needed to find a voice, find a voice. And people is also extending to, to animals in that right. But also mm-hmm. just, you know, I, it, it sort of morphed from wanting to be a veterinarian and it moved into a higher protection realm of the environment because it also encompassed people and all the animals. Yeah. And then I learned about the EPA and environmental justice when I was 16. And that was it. I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And then I went and did it. That is so awesome. Cause I feel like there's not that many people who stay the course and stay on the path of what they thought they wanted to be as a little girl through all the challenges that life brings you, but to stay the course and to now be able to work for the EPA and to literally have your hands in the work of environmental justice is just very inspiring, I think, and takes a lot of purpose and intentionality in how you sort of craft your career. What, for maybe people who don't know, what exactly, how do you define environmental justice? Um, yeah, so it's, it's a very, it's a very strong and encompassing term. Um, if you, if you go to the EPA's website and read what environmental justice is, that'll give you really the, the best breakdown. Um, speaking as just an individual citizen and, and yeah. you know, my, my passion for environmental justice, even outside of work, like, you know, for me, environmental justice is about correcting for like past discrimination and current discrimination against communities of color, indigenous and tribal communities, low-end communities, and like so many more people that, you know, don't really always have access to the basic tenets of this planet, you know, clean air, clean water, even a clean earth. For me, it's about trying to even the scale so that everyone has the same chance to pursue the American dream without being overburdened by problems that they didn't cause. And Mm -hmm. I feel like no one should suffer just because of where they grew up or their color of their skin. So for me, environmental justice, really at the heart of it is that it matters because we cannot truly, like, I feel like we truly cannot be like the land of the free when there are so many people and so many citizens that are kind of held captive by these environmental injustices. And so wanting to make sure that we, you know, as responsible Americans and as responsible global citizens really try to achieve a form of equality that really helps everyone get on the same scale and level. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think the thing about environmental justice and sort of the work you're describing is when I grew up and studied and everything, like 
this wasn't even talked about at all. Like maybe a little bit in like history class when you talked about like segregation and, you know, the way that like communities were redlined, like a little bit, but it hasn't really been until later that this has kind of come into my education. And so I think there's a lot of us out there maybe who never realized that our policies that we had directly you know, discriminated against or put people at an unfair advantage and kind of destroyed their health and their wellness of their communities until I think, in my opinion, I think Flint, Michigan was like a huge eye opener for a lot of people in like a more modern day sense of, okay, this is, this is what's happening. How is this even possible? Yeah, that, that's a great example, you know, of, of people sort of finally being able to hear about these things that so many communities have been literally screaming about for right, decades. Right. And, you know, there it's, it's interesting because it doesn't always look the way that people think it would look. Like, I think Flint in a lot of ways looked like the way that people thought it would, but environmental justice yeah. itself plays out a lot of times in, even in, in versions of like, what I would even consider like, not microaggressions, but they're not the most newsworthy or yeah, like maybe not as like overt as a yeah exactly yeah. And so like you know a very like a very common example is you know if if a company wants to put in something like a refinery or um an, a you know a, a you know a plant that produces pollution or, or anything like that into a community mm-hmm. or landfill is a, is a very common example you know they'll hold public meetings but they'll hold them in the middle of the day on a Tuesday and it's only in English or something and they're in a predominantly, you know, Hispanic neighborhood. So really what they're doing is they are technically doing their due diligence Mm -hmm. for legal purposes, but they know what they're doing, right? They know that people in this community cannot take off of work in the middle of the day, cannot, you know, afford to be able to go to these meetings. Sometimes they'll hold them at at locations that are far away that public transit doesn't get to. Mm -hmm. Or like I mentioned, they'll only hold it in one language when they know predominantly that the community speaks another language. And the real point behind all of that is it's just flat out systemic racism, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's flat out economic discrimination and they know what they're doing and they know they can get away with it. And we're seeing now more with social media and the ability to engage in free content that people are now being able to call that out and companies are now being held more accountable, but it's Mm -hmm. still happening all over the place. All over. There's a reason like rich white suburbs don't have landfills, right? Or they don't have big manufacturing companies coming in and yeah. And there was, the you know, there was a big push in the nineties for something called NIMBY, which was not in my backyard. And the whole yeah. idea behind NIMBY was it was supposed to be about community empowerment, but along the lines, you know, these, you know, very upper middle-class, you know, or even just middle-class white suburbs were being catered to. And once they felt heard, they were done and mm-hmm. they didn't, there wasn't any conversation about what about our whole community? Because communities in general, you mentioned redlining a little bit, you know, people mm-hmm. don't always feel as connected. And so it was much easier to go and basically prey on these low income communities and communities of color and sometimes tribal and indigenous lands as well. And I say prey because that's what it is. You know, it is, yeah. it's, it's not just taking advantage. They preyed on these people and ruined their health. And 
have rarely been held accountable for it. And that's the kind of thing that makes me very angry. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm like, I'm listening to you right now and I can like feel my, like the tension yeah. rising in my body, just saying, thinking like, and they keep getting away with it. Mm-hmm. And it's so damn frustrating. I know. This is what I feel every day. I know. This is, this is just what I, this is <laughs> how I live. This is, this is why I'm out of alignment. Cause I'm just angry all the time. <laughs> I love it. But you know what? We need people like you who are going to fight the injustice and go after these people who are preying on communities who for whatever reason are unable to advocate against the Goliaths, right? I mean, they need to have change at so many different levels, but you're right. When you say it's like systemic racism, it's also, it has to be at the policy level. It also has to be at the local community level. So it has to be throughout the whole, you know, system that we're making changes that prevent sort of this type of terrible atrocities to keep happening. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And, you know, a big part of it too, is that, you know, EJ communities are extremely powerful and they, you know, they love their families as much as you love your families. You know, they're, they Mm -hmm. care about the communities as much, you know, they care about the planet. They, they have the same values, you know, EJ communities in a lot of ways have them tenfold than a lot of other people do. I mean, I honestly believe that, you know, in, 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 in environmental justice and environmentalism are not the same thing. They're, you know, they're, they're separate entities, but mm-hmm. for me, environmental justice communities are, are leading the forefront of environmental policy in general and need to be consulted and need to be brought to the table in a more consistent manner. And that's something that's starting to happen now more and more, but, you know, it's, it's not one of those things where they need to be rescued. They need to be heard, you know, they need to be valued. And, you know, there's often, you know, I think some, sometimes like a savior complex that, you know, especially white environmentalists can have Mm -hmm. in terms of that. And it's like, no one needs your pity. They need you to pay attention. They need you to use your privilege for good because they will Mm -hmm. listen to you. That's the kind of stuff that I personally am really trying to, 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 get out to my friends and to, you know, move into the environmental movement Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, taking accountability, but also, you know, even if something is not technically your quote unquote fault, standing up and saying that you understand that you have benefited from a system that has been made for you. And what are you going to do with that privilege? Right. And that's the piece of like white privilege that I see so many people pushing back against is just owning the fact that you have white privilege. Like, I feel like I can say that honestly, like I own the fact that I'm white and I grew up in a very privileged community, but like, you have to be able to just go beyond that and use it for good and to, you know, lift up the voices in those communities instead of trying to speak over them and say it your way, like lift up the people who are doing the work. And I think that's, when you talk about like the, like white savior complex, so much of that is at play when we look at activism. Yeah, a ton of it. It's it's one of those things where you don't want to turn people off from trying to do the right thing, but what's yeah. right in their mind is obviously influenced by their experiences. And that's not, you know, that's not mm-hmm. the right experience when you're trying to uplift a community that's actually experiencing the issue right. at the moment, you know? And so right. that lens is very important. And I think a big part of it too is just taking a minute to step back 
And yeah, listening is, is an important part of it, but also bringing resources to the table and saying, you know, I know that I have this, what can I do to help make sure that you also have it too? There's a lot of conversations, inclusivity, there's a lot of connections that can be made in that, in that space. And it's a little daunting. I think people are fearful of overstepping Mm -hmm. and, you know, saying the wrong thing or coming off the wrong way. And I completely understand that that fear exists, but you're never going to get anywhere cowering in the corner either, you know? So there's, even if that first step is a stumble, it's still a step. I love that. I love that. And I think, you know, we talk in the development space a lot about just getting uncomfortable or getting comfortable in being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of times it's not going to feel good (laughs) to stumble. It's not going to feel good to, you know, say something and put your foot in your mouth. It's not going to feel good to, you know, not know how to like surely proceed. But like you said, we're still moving forward, you know, an inch at a time or whatever it looks like. We still have to be making progress forward. And sometimes that progress is uncomfortable. Yeah, it can definitely be messy. And a Mm -hmm. a part of that progress too, is not leaning on these communities to educate you. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of conversations going on around lift and burden. And, you know, I've, I've had this conversation, you know, in a lot of my circles, I'm one of the only people of color and definitely one of the only women of color. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I will be asked like, what's a good book to read? And I, I like to give recommendations, but there's another part of me that's like, you have Google, like, (laughs) you know, there, there's, there's something in there too, about if you want my opinion as Christina, I'm happy to give that. If you're asking as a woman of color, like that's not my job to educate you and do that. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of lift in and in in there and like the work, the emotional labor that, that Mm -hmm. people of color, especially women of color do for everyone else. And so how do we try and relieve that burden by people taking more autonomy and ownership over their own education, their own advocacy and not relying on others to do it for them? Yes. hundred percent agree. Like it is on us to do the work, to do the research, to look for different resources and not to constantly turn to, like you said, women of color to educate us, that, that burden is unreasonable for people to expect you or any woman of color to represent, you know, everyone with your opinion, like you're an individual, <laughs> you're Christina, <laughs> like, let's hear Christina's opinions, but don't put that burden on people. Cause it, it's exhausting. I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. <laughs> it can't be she's like also why I'm out of alignment <laughs> we'll get you there we'll get you back into alignment. I want to talk a little bit about sort of we talked we kind of talked about you know systemic racism but really there's a lot of intersectionality that comes to environmental justice and also bringing in I know on um your Instagram handle, you tag yourself as an eco-feminist. And I want to just kind of dive into what does that mean and how do these all sort of like play together? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, intersectionality is not a new term, but for a lot of people, it's the first time that they hear it, you know, and the concept I think is extremely easy to grasp, you know, and, you know, if there, you know, it's one of those things where once people hear it, they're like, oh yeah, okay. They just didn't know that there was a word for it. And so, you know, for me, I think that intersectionality is really 
it's really important because it helps more people get seen. You know, the more you try to intersect different parts of, of people and try and really kind of add more lenses to the work that you're doing, you see more and more people, your, your, your depth perception gets wider. You know, you, you start to encompass other people into the conversation because now you understand that their lived experiences are often not taken into account and are often used against them. And so, I mean, it can come in a lot of different ways, you know, when intersectionality is talked about in the environmental space, you know, a lot of times we talk about, you know, communities of color and low income communities, you know, and like, they're not, you know, if you think about like a Venn diagram, they don't always touch, but there's spaces in the middle where people really need the most amount of support because they're sort of being hit with multiple different what's the word I'm looking infractions that's not the right word but they're they're being hit you know injustices or yeah injustices yeah of course um (laughs) but you know there's intersectionality exists in general as a is a very strong feminist term to to really look at race ethnicity gender sexual identity religious affiliation gender identity you know location there's a there's a lot at play with it and you know when you see more people, you ultimately value them. You, you recognize the human in another and you begin to try and see their experience and, and work to make sure that they have just as much of a say as you do. And, you know, I, I personally is just like first generation, queer, Hindu woman of color. You know, I've often been excluded or pushed aside in different realms. And sometimes it was obvious, sometimes it was just, you know, the way that people have been trained to treat me. Um, and I've had to learn a lot about standing up for myself and, and not apologizing for things I'm not sorry for and, and, you know, really taking up the space that other people get to take up. And by doing that and by advocating for myself, other people in my life have started to also advocate for me. And that's a new experience that's been happening for me that I've deeply valued. But also I knew that it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't stood up for myself in the first place. And that's not a luxury or privilege that everybody has, you know? Right. And the, oh, and I'll, I'll say really quickly, like the, the term eco-feminist was something that I, I heard in college can't remember who told me. And I was like, that is the coolest word I have ever heard. Um, because it combines two things that I love. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, for me, ecofeminist in general, like it means that I acknowledge that, you know, when environmental justice occurs, you know, when one occurs, like women tend to bear the burden of that more. Um, you know, it means that, as feminists, a part of our duty in protecting one another and really standing up um, for women and those who identify as women is, you know, protecting that this space that we all live in, you know, making sure everyone has equal access to things, whether it's voting rights or healthcare or clean water. Though to me, that ecofeminist is really in that in that third realm. Um, you know, for me, it's it means that, you know, for ecofeminism is that, you know, the patriarchy has just so ingrained in us to be caretakers. And, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, the earth takes care of us. So we kind of share that bond. And like, that's a little hippie, even for me, like I'm a scientist by trade, (laughs) but it's a guiding principle that, you know, the feminine 
sort of sustains and the earth sort of sustains, right? And we sort of look as the, at the masculine as something that destroys, you know, and we move in that balance, that push and pull. And that's not always bad. Some things need to be torn down. I, I tear down things all the time, but like, you know, the, the concept of the feminine with the, with, with the earth, like there's just, there's been a lot of philosophical, spiritual stuff around that. Mm-hmm. And it's not always something that I bind very closely with, but I understand that that is a, a deeply significant part to many cultures. And so ecofeminism to me really starts to move into the idea that, you know, anyone who identifies as a woman in general will find more hardships in their life. And in turn, as we try to be better for one another, we also try to be better towards the earth. So we all have access to resources. So I hope that made sense, but that's sort of my brain dump on that. It totally did. And I think it's so beautiful to think about that concept of just how intertwined the feminine is with the earth. I mean, you even think about like mother nature and just really not that we're called to protect our earth more, but I think there's just like this ingrained piece, like you said, that we've been nurturers and, um, you know, caretakers and creators of something bigger than us. And so I just, I really identified with what you were saying about, um, just that kind of connection that we have as women and people who identify as women to the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Let's okay. Let's say someone listening is very inspired and wants (laughs) to do (laughs) and wants to go out there and like fight the injustices and be um, just really more intentional with their environment. What are some tips that you might have for them or where do you recommend they start? Oh man. I mean, that's beyond like recycling. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I know that's the one of the first things that jumps everybody's mind. You know, the hard part about answering that question is that when you're asking where someone starts, it's, it's complicated because everyone else, everyone is starting from such a different place, mm-hmm. you know, and some people start with a lot of privilege and can sort of jump to the top of advocacy. And some people don't have that ability and are really just trying to, to find a way to feel more comfortable with the life that they're living because they do not have the capability to do more based on their life stressors. You know, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that I've, you know, I've really thought about in terms of, you know, when you think about like the environment, when people talk about like, oh, you know, I should recycle more or like, oh, I should eat less meat. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a very environmental conscious mind of individual action, which is very helpful. I mean, we should all reduce our footprint. At the end, companies make up over 70% of all climate change, you know, emissions. Mm -hmm. But like, they don't ever want to talk about it. But when it comes to- (laughs) My individual footprint is going to make a big deal. You know, it's helpful. It definitely is. Um, But- Is it the most impactful? Probably not. (laughs) Well, and you know, the, the thing is with someone who wants to do more, you know, Mm -hmm. a big part of it is just, for me, it's always just sort of been following your gut. And when it comes to environmental justice, I like to focus, especially on that last word, right? Because it's not environmentalism, it's not environmental policy, it's environmental justice. And 
I, again, sort of, talk, you know, kind of, we just talked about the masculine and feminine. I like to look at things as pairs with one another. And so the opposite of, of justice is obviously injustice. And I feel like the word injustice is, is a much easier concept for people to grasp. I think that anybody with like a heart and half a brain can be like, no, that's wrong. You know, like mm-hmm. they, I think people can, their moral compass understands what an injustice is. Mm-hmm. And so in wanting to do more, wanting to have a starting off place, I think that it's very important for people to kind of find something that they, they really perceive as an injustice and go like, how can I help? And that doesn't mean you have to go protest. It doesn't mean you quit your job and join a nonprofit. Like it doesn't mean any of that stuff. It can, but I think a lot of, in a lot of ways, you sort of hear about things that happen in your community. You understand larger overall implications of policies. And when you see the repercussions of that, you see who's affected by it. And you understand that these injustices often occur towards the communities that we've been speaking about. That it, 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 it can stir something in you, you know? And I think the place to start is with that stirring, you know, mm-hmm. to really sit with that. And kind of like you said before, to be uncomfortable with it. And to understand that even if you yourself did not contribute to that problem, that you can still be a part of the solution. So I always tell people to find something that they're, that, that really kind of gets them going. And they're like, I want to, I want to do something about that and, and start at a level that's, you know, accessible for you. Don't go zero to 60 and then burn yourself out and not want to do anything on it anymore. You know, like, you know, very, very simple things, you know, phone banking or, you know, mailing out, like, you know, leaflets or whatever. My, my big thing too, is if you want to start somewhere, like, I think, I think voting is the most important thing that you can do in a lot of, in a lot of these realms, you know, like voting, voting for candidates that acknowledge that climate change is real, voting for candidates that have a history of advocacy for environmental justice communities who have engaged, who have, who have seen them for, Mm -hmm. for, for who they are and tried to lift them up, you know, even representatives voting local too. voting local. Yes. That's a huge part of it, you know, and like, even finding candidates that invest in things like public transportation and infrastructure, mm-hmm. you know, voting for things that that necessarily like a big place to start, especially with environmental justice, is voting for candidates who will help someone that's not yourself. Like looking yeah. at a larger scale, a bigger scale, and go like, okay, this doesn't matter as much to me, but I wonder why it matters so much to them. Mm-hmm. Doing a little bit of research, understanding the communities they're trying to help. And, and trying to step outside of yourself and your privilege and looking towards a community that needs more people to rally around them because they have often been silenced and shut out, you know? Mm-hmm. So that to me is a, is a great place to start, just trying to lend a voice to those who have often had it taken from them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's great advice to sit with that stirring, to find something that you know, sparks your interest and sparks something inside of you to say like, Hey, like that's not right. Or that's not fair. And that's wrong. And to want to do something about it, I think is just really powerful. And like, I love what you said about not going zero to 60 and just totally burning yourself out. Cause I think sometimes that's our tendency is to want to be a fixer and to solve a problem once we like learn about it. And as we were saying, we have to, you know, lift up the people who are currently doing the work, but also understand that like 
you will burn yourself out. That it's not a way to solve a problem that it's going to take a lot more than that. And the things like voting are great things that we can do right away. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great summation. You know, it's, uh, it's often uh, a, a difficult, you know, conversation or concept to get across that, you know, this is all a marathon. It is not a sprint mm-hmm. and it's, it's hard work and you don't have to work on it 24 seven, you know, but working on it is better than not every, every hand, every helping hand that touches it is more than one that had, you know? And so like, for me, it's, it's about really being purposeful in your time, giving what you can and not, and not expecting a result right away and being okay with that, you know, Mm -hmm. it, and not feeling like your time was wasted or, oh, we didn't get the thing that we wanted. Sometimes you don't, a lot of times Mm -hmm. we don't in this realm, we are working against centuries of injustice across the planet, you know, and decades and of, of, of injustices right on our own soil. And so we're, you know, we're in a tough spot of, of people getting discouraged very quickly. Mm-hmm. And trying- oh, especially in this like day of instant gratification, like as soon as we realize that it probably won't be solved within our generation, but if we can leave it better and leave it more forward than we inherited it. I think that's where the true progress comes in, but the instant gratification of thinking like these movements are just going to snap your fingers, post something on Instagram and it's going to be fixed. Right. Is insane. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, it's also, I think it's also interesting too, because, you know, you'll, you said, you know, might not be solved in our generation. No, you'll have you'll have younger people coming to the forefront, you know, and sort of screaming about these things. And there's often a lot of ageism at play there, sort of like, you don't know anything about the world. And it's like, well, you know something about the world or you think you do and you're messing it up. So like, why should I listen to you? You know? So there's a, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of, of energy and vigor really coming behind a lot of this right now. And, you know, we've been seeing that, you know, with everything from, you know, the Green New Deal to mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, you know, people are bringing energy to these, to these movements, mm-hmm. because really what we're looking at is people saying this isn't right, you know, and even if the only thing that you really feel like you can do is take to the streets, then do that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a huge fan of protesting, have been in many myself, have definitely done a few runs from the cops and stuff of that <laughs> nature, and, you know, a, a big part of that, again, is sort of what I said before, it's about being seen, staying mm-hmm. in your home will do nothing, you know, and it will continue to allow injustices to prevail. And so we are, we are at a, at a point in our society where we have the, we have the ability to, to shed light on these issues in a very new and, and honestly exciting way. Mm-hmm. And to be able to do that for the benefit of people who have often been pushed aside, I think is one of the greatest callings that we can have as a country. I love that. I love that. Christina, this has been such an incredible conversation. I think it's been so enlightening to hear your perspective about environmental justice and just the work that you are doing and the work that still needs to be done and how we can, you know, start to be a part of it. 
more if we haven't already engaged in it. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode and sharing all of your thoughts. It's always a delight to talk with you. And I really appreciate you taking time to be a guest. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was really, it was a new experience. I really liked it. that's it for now. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Brave and Purposeful Women podcast. You can find the show notes for all podcast episodes over at alexandrayoung.co slash podcast, along with all the resources and links that we mentioned. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to tell someone by sharing the episode and taking a moment to rate and review the show in the app store. We really appreciate it. Live your life well this week, friends. We'll chat soon. Thank you.